0: All right, uh, welcome to the Apex Vaulting Podcast. Um, we got another episode with you. Uh, this is episode 78. We're going to have Ed Luthion. He's the head coach of DC Vault. Uh, it's going to be a great episode. I Honestly, it's it's kind of crazy. I mean, obviously, with uh, some extra time on my hands, I can do a lot more podcast episodes. But I, I kind of – I hope once we're through this and uh, you know we'll get through this craziness and everybody's safe and healthy – Maybe there's a way I, 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 I gotta figure out how to get more of these in even during busy times of year. Cause, uh, one, it's a lot of fun doing these podcasts. And, and two, I, you know, I think a lot of people are getting a lot of great information through them. Um, remember, uh, please, if you like the podcast, subscribe to us on iTunes, leave a review or a comment. Um, also, if you want to follow us on Instagram, it's at the real apex vaulting on Instagram. And we're also apex vaulting on Facebook, Snapchat. Twitter and even TikTok. And if you have any comments or questions, um, please email us at apexvaulting at gmail.com. Um, and here's the show. All right, so uh, here here's Ed uh, Luthy of uh, DC Vault. Um, thanks for being on the podcast, Ed. Um, why why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about you know how you guys started in the vault, how you ended up you know starting this huge club DC Vault because you guys have an amazing facility. I mean that. When when did you guys make the new facility uh, that you have? It's an outdoor facility, and you guys have two or three pits. Three pits. Yeah. Yeah, and and they're amazing. They're all brand new pits. Lot, a lot of great equipment. How, how how did you know? How did you get on this path where now you're you're in charge of this huge club? Um, you know, the long story <laughs> is. Yeah. Uh, You know, it goes back to to
1: days in high school and I was just messing around on some bars and a track coach walked by and saw saw what I was doing. And and nowadays I realize that was exactly it. It's a drill that we do in regular training. Okay. And it was something I just started doing on my own. And he uh, told me to get him tried out in vaulting because we had to do that there. I started vaulting, switched schools a couple of times. Uh, The other schools I went to didn't have coaches, so I started coaching athletes in schools. Uh, went off in the military for a while, uh, competed on the all-army team. Same thing happened there. Um, I was instructing the other athletes. It's, it's uh, so
0: it's so crazy. Sorry to cut you off, Ed, but it's like that's yeah. such a part of so many people's story in pole vault. It's like you started jumping and then there wasn't a coach, so you had to not only figure it out for yourself but help your teammates, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually hear that a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in fact, in particular with the younger coaches – um, almost all of them, it's the same deal, right? They, they were at a school, they were the only athlete pole vaulting that, that kind of knew what they were doing, and they started helping their teammates out, and that's, that's kind of where I got started as well.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, uh, collegiate same deal, um, and, uh, post collegiate I started getting into construction a lot, a lot heavier. Um, I started working at Eastern Michigan University, um, where I trained Janice Kepler, um. She's a Olympic trials finalist from 15 to
0: um, So, not bad. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Um, she did pretty well. Um, we had, I had a lot of success. I was actually training the girls there. And I think one of the reasons I had good success with that was because I trained them as vaulters, not as female vaulters. And um, it, people
0: people forget, Ed, like that in the beginning when women started to vault. First of all, there was still a lot of people that were against women vaulting, and then oh, se- secondly, they thought that you had to coach women differently. Like they're That's still human completely beings, true. you know?
1: Yeah. No, they. they I actually was coaching a uh, high school. Um, first year that the women's club started vaulting in the U.S., I trained the state champion there uh, that year, and, and I mean, it, it, it was exactly what you just said. You know, if you look at all the girls jumping in the uh, mid-90s when they started doing it in the U.S., none of them opened up their arms. A few could bend poles because they, there was this mindset, and I would hear coaches say this, well, girls can't bend poles, so... He tries to say that to a girl these days. Right. Um, Right. You know, so... But but I I just... I don't know. I never approached it that way. I always just said, no, they can kick butt, and, and I'm going to train them the way that, that a
0: vaulter would train, and, and I've always had good success with it. So, so y- you know what's funny that you say that like that? You know, I remember one time, um, somebody that was coaching for me, I was going to have to go to, like, a high school state meet, and I had two 17-footers that were going to be jumping at a meet, and I was like, hey, uh, the person's name was Dave Cariella. I was like, Dave you're going to have to go coach Kurt and Craig, you know, and he goes, Oh, I, I don't know if I could coach them. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, well, well they jump on bigger poles than me. Like he, I was like, D- Dave, I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's all the same thing, right? Like it's just, they're bigger people. They jump on bigger poles and they're faster. So they, you know, they jump on bigger poles, but it's, it's just like coaching that, that, that girl that's on a 1220 trying to jump ten six. You know, if it's a blow through, you go up, grip or pull, you know, if it's not moving, you got to grip them down, go down a pole, you know? And I I think too often people get that mixed up. They think like, uh, you know, oh man, like the vault is going to look completely different or you're going to coach them completely different if it's someone jumping 10 versus someone jumping 17. It's like, no, it kind of all fits under the same paradigm, you know, and philosophy. It's just someone else is faster and stronger or someone else is slower and you have to put them on the appropriate pole and grips, but it's going to look very similar, you know?
1: It is, but I mean, and it can be intimidating though, right? I mean, you know, I've worked with a lot of athletes, a lot of different levels, um, mm-hmm. before I really built out our, our new facility, you know, one of the reasons I built out our new facility the way that I did was that we had athletes of every caliber. You know, I had, right. you know, five-year-old and six-year-old kids. I had, right. you know, we trained Olivia Gruber. Um, She developed with us. Um, she's yeah. a National Collegiate Record Holder. Um, Calvin Pidney was the Youth National Champion. Um, Anthony Tree National Champion. Uh, Josh Alcone is now the United Republic Record Holder. Um, uh, and so on. And when I built out that facility, it was to accommodate everything from those kids through elite performers, and right. shortly after that, you know, Sean Barber came in to, to D.C. and, and worked with me a little bit, and and I've had another guy, you know, now that's training with me, uh, Pete Garrity, who was an 18-6 jumper yeah, before yeah. He came
0: I, over. I, so and, it's it's funny because uh, Craig Van Leeuwen's uh, Division three National Championship, he yep. was against Peter Garrity. He ended up beating Pete on attempts. Craig had zero misses that day. They both jumped the same bar, 17 5 and a half. And, I mean, Pete's a stud. I mean, he is, I mean, oh, like, yeah. you, watching him at that national championship, like, you knew he had a lot more in him, you know? And so, oh, yeah. one, I, it's been great to see him jump higher since the D3 days. Um, and it's awesome that he's working with you.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and he's, you know, getting back to what you had said earlier about, you know, somebody being a little bit intimidated about working with jumpers jump higher than they do or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I was getting at. It with sort of laying that background was that when somebody comes in, like you know when Sean Barber, world champion, comes in, yeah. I can't just say, "Hey, dude, just <laughs> do this," right? Um, and, and 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 with Pete, he may not be quite at that level, but but he's a big dog, and yeah. he's got his own mindset. You, you, you do have to kind of be aware of that and sort of seal out certain athletes. You know, right. some, some athletes, I'll just tell them no. You're doing it this way. It's my way or the highway kind of thing. But with others, you recognize their personalities. If you want to help them, you kind of have to to tiptoe around certain things and, and, and expose them to subtle ideas. Um, right within and, their framework, and, and so I, that they start to see what you're trying to get at without realizing that's what you're doing, and then if they see the light, they start to go, "Oh my god, that that's amazing! That worked, and this this worked, and I, I feel the benefit of this." And slowly they start
0: listening to you more, and then you kind of open up a little bit more and, and gain that mutual comfort. No, a hundred percent. I I think that what you what you're explaining there is like you have to slowly build a relationship. Like when you have an athlete, it again it's different. If somebody comes to you as a beginner, it's day one or You know, or even if it's like, let's say a high school level athlete that's never really been coached before, you know, they don't know anything. Yeah, it's like, hey, this is how we do it here, you know? But I think you do have to have a level of respect for someone that comes in that may have been already jumping five to ten years under great tutelage. Like someone like Peter Garrity, he's worked with a lot of phenomenal coaches. You know, he's been at North Central with the Winders. You know, he's been with Kyle Ellis. You know, so it's like, you know, you have respect for that guy. Like, okay, like this is not someone who's, uh, let's say, illiterate in the pole vault. Like. He's read many chapters, you know, and so you have to start to form that relationship and see if it works both ways, you know, and see if you, you know, you can blend, you know, the, the, the ideas together. And I think that's really, really important and, and kind of something that we've talked a lot about, you know, over the past year is like, you know, people forget coaching is about building those bonds and relationships And if you can build that relationship, now you can get someone to perform at a really high level because, look, in the pole ball, it's, you know, like many other sports that there's some level of, like, danger – you have to have trust in your coach that they know what they're doing. It's it's kind of like being almost like a NASCAR crew chief. If the driver trusts the crew chief, they will do the things the crew chief says. If they don't, well, they don't want to crash in the wall, you know? And I think is well, very that, similar. That's a really good point, and that
1: that adds another sort of variable to the level of complexity of coaching really good athletes. And, and here's what I'm getting at is that, one of the things that I have, once I start working with the athlete, the more and more I work with them, you know, if it's somebody who's come in, I've got to do it from a different, you know, approach, but versus somebody who I've started from ground zero, like Livia or something like that. Right. Um, but either way, if we're going to make great gains in the end, we've got to get to the same level of, of, of a relationship in the sense that. The athlete has to trust you the way you just explained a crew chief. You know, it is a dry rest, trust the crew chief. But for, for me anyways, mm. the way that I get there is the athlete has to get to this point where they stop questioning me. They right. have to accept everything I tell them to do in training and stop thinking to a level. They have to stop thinking for themselves. And, it's, and that, that's where you, you butt a lot of heads with a lot of stubborn personality types. You know, some people don't like, like structure. And if they don't like structure, eventually they may leave. But right. They, but, but the, the, reality of it is that, that, that sort of almost blind, you know, trust is required for that day that you're on the runway and you're on your third attempt and you're either going to win or you're going to, you're, you're going to take the silver and you need to make an adjustment with that athlete and say, do this, and it's going to freak you out, but just do it, and trust me, as long as you just block your mind out and you execute the movement I want you to do, at this grip or this pull that I want you to do it on, you're going to be fine. Yeah, well... And, and the vulnerable is going to go up and be scared shitless, but they, they've built that relationship to you to know that if I do what he tells me and I commit to it, actually attempting it, what, what he's asking me to do, I'm
0: going to be fine. So you, you It'll know, freak me out, but I'm going to be fine. So, so cu- a couple of things there and, and an example of what you're describing. Um, one, uh, me and Joe Oliveri, we did the vault Companion with the 1997 World Championship. And there's this one YouTube video that you can follow along with. It's 39 minutes long. You could literally see that play out. One, you could see Galfion, who had won the Olympics the summer before, you could just yep. see in his face as he's attempting, I think oh, it was like yeah, 570 um, or 580, he's questioning yep. things. He's not trusting yep. the yep. process. And then yep. when you see Bupka on the runway, I mean, this is a guy that goes into the world championships with his highest mark that year was 565, you know? And yep. and it's like he ends up jumping 601. And um, and just for people who maybe don't know those numbers, 565 is about 18.6. And he ends up jumping 19.8 and three quarters or something, right? It's like... That Bupka trusted in the process. Like he was on that runway, and you could see in his eyes, he's like, "Okay, if I just bring this the way I normally do, that I'm capable of, this is going to work. I'm going to bomb this bar." And you could see that, that belief that's a great in
1: great example.
0: Yeah, yeah. And,
1: and there's another one on um, the Olympics uh, two times ago. And, uh, uh, I'm going to blank in his name. The Brazilian. Um, oh,
0: Tiago. The last Olympics with Tiago. When
1: yep. You went, the exact same scenario you could see right then and there when he blew out that winning jump, he moved on to the pole. He never touched in his life
0: before. (laughs) And you could see it
1: on his face, but you also could see it doesn't matter. This is it. This is my one shot. I'm going to trust in everything and I'm just going to go for it. I mean, you you, you can tell from experience that He's he's freaking out, but he's also gonna, gonna do it. He's gonna go for it and yeah. see what happens.
0: And and it's so funny and, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, and it's so funny because in that situation, I mean think about yeah. that. Petrov coaches Bubka, Petrov coached Tiago, and you can literally you, you literally could see Tiago's first attempt at six oh three, he didn't really come out on the runway the right way, and he gets stood up. Yep. And then the, yep. the second attempt, I literally, from the first step Tiago took, you could just see it. Oh, yep. He really posted up. He popped out on that first step and set up the runway. And you're like, dude, he's got a shot. you know? But yep. it's because yep. he had that commitment and trust in his coach. And I think like even yep. the way you were just describing it, what was super, super important, and I don't know if people maybe picked up on it, but it's like you, you made this subtle point out of like when you're on that third attempt, when your coach gives you an adjustment, you have to trust. Now – if we're talking about preseason, it's fall, sure, maybe, you know, you do a little powwow every once in a while. Like, hey, we're working on this. Do you feel like it's working? You know, do we need to do a different progression? It's it's not that coach and athlete can't have discussion over process and procedure every once in a while. Exactly. But the thing yeah. is, in those key moments, when you're at a championship meet, and this is like win or lose, you know what I mean? There has to be that trust there. There has to be that yeah. trust. And, and, and I you think, only
1: get to that level through... Mm-hmm months and years of, of training
2: that way. I mean, you,
1: you right. have to, you, you can't be fighting with your coach every day about why well, I should do this, or I should do, if, if you don't even trust your coach to you put together your training plan for you and decide what you need to be focused on today or right now on this jump or, or, or whatnot, you, you're, there's no way you're going to be at that point so, and, when you need when you need to be.
0: And I, and I love that point that you're making because I think for coach and athlete, I think this is something that for everybody who's listening out there, and, and you know, there's people that are going through this, right? It's like you may have gotten to a point, and and look, maybe your athlete doesn't trust you. Maybe you don't trust your athlete. You know, then maybe it's time to move on. You know what I mean? Like, and and there's nothing wrong with that. Listen, we're not all compatible, right? Like different coaches run things differently. Some people are, you know, more structured like you, Ed. I think I'm a more structured guy. Um, But some people need something that's more laissez-faire. I mean, I remember talking to Roman Bacharnikov, and he always described American vaulters as cowboys. It's the wild, wild west. And I do think there's an element of that. Like even, and it's so funny. We've gone so far on a tangent. We got to go back to your your background. But like, (laughs) like how you started. It's like you know, you were an athlete. You had to coach. You didn't have a choice. There was no one there to coach you. And then you had to share with your teammates. You know. And so I think that's why, as Americans in the vault, a lot of times we are so used to being like cowboys. You know. It's like I just do what I want. And so sometimes that's where it's like the butting of heads happens. I think the other thing. Is that sometimes you know how you know how it is, Ed? You know, you start jumping higher, and all of a sudden you start feeling yourself. You're like, you know what? I am awesome, and you know what? Maybe I know better. And and sometimes, like I I always I always tell people, I'm like sometimes you got to let that athlete make a mistake, let them make a choice, let them make them their mistake, and then they'll probably come back to you. You know what I mean? If they're smart, right? Or you might have to cut ties. But I'll give you a perfect example. We had an athlete that um, last year as a junior, he, he had developed a stress fracture in his, his uh, back. So he had to sit out, Like I think it was about eight months so when he finally came back, I mean, you know how it is, That I mean, not only is he not pole vaulting, but he couldn't lift, he couldn't train, you know, there was very minimal things he could do. He lost a lot of muscle mass and a lot of speed. This was a kid that, you know, the first time he jumped 14, he was probably gripping 13.3 on a 14-170, and he weighs maybe 140 pounds, right? So now when he first comes back, he goes to a meet, and he actually went to a meet with one of my other coaches, uh, Calvin Hartman, Right. And, and it was a great, this is such a good story. So he ends up only jumping, I think 12 or 12, six. Right. And I call the the athlete up. His name is Owen. And I'm like, Hey Owen, you know, how was your me? He's like, ah, uh, like I, I only jumped 12, six. I'm like, I'm like, what happened? I'm like, did Calvin not move you up poles fast enough? He's like, no, nah, I just, I wasn't moving them. Like I, I shouldn't go up a pole. I didn't need to go up a pole. Like I just, you know, I didn't have the speed today. And I'm like, Wow, this is weird, because this is one of those kids that he'd definitely be like, if I gave him that scapegoat, I'm like, did, did the coach not put you up on a big enough pole? He'd be like, hell yeah, I could have went up a pole. I'm like, this is weird. So then I, I call Calvin, and Calvin did the right thing. He said he was at the meet, the kid was on a 1450, and it was just not moving that well. And Owen was like, I think I need to go up a pole on his last attempt at 13. And Calvin's like, no, like you need to stay in the 50. He watches Owen go to the pole bag take out the 55 and Calvin, he goes, look, what was I supposed to do? I'm not going to start screaming at the kid and say, don't go up a pole. He goes, and I knew it was going to still be safe. He just wasn't going to clear the bar. I let him go. Plus even, I, I really love this. Calvin goes, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the kid goes up a pole and he clears. And now I have to question, why didn't I see that? Right? So he let it unfold. So Owen comes down, he gets stood up. It didn't work. <laughs> and I was like, Calvin, see, you di- you just pulled a Jedi mind trick on that kid. Because now the <laughs> next time you go to the meet with Owen, Owen is going to have 100% trust in you. Because you let him do it his way and he failed. So now he's like, damn, I should have listened to Calvin. Sometimes you need to go through that stuff. But these are all important things. Like you said, it's like it, it, the athlete has to trust you has to trust you know, and, and, and it, so I, I don't know, I, I think this is a, amazing stuff, Ed, I mean, like, you're hitting a lot of things, you're hitting the nail right on the head with the, all these topics.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and that, that's a scenario I've seen play a lot with, with, you know, with my younger athletes, usually when uh, when they're trying to pull one of those, you know, I'm going to switch the balls or raise the grip kind of things, Yeah, yeah. Kind of squash it, but, you know, Maybe I let them let slide a few more times so they, they get a, get the bigger picture. But it's usually with my my better athletes you want to make that switch mm-hmm. that I when I'm telling them they're not ready that I kind of let them do that because yeah. I know what's going to happen mm-hmm. and and it, it, it's for that purpose. It's to say, oh, okay, I didn't. Um, it, you know, I got one in particular um, uh, that's not with me now that, that I've done that with a couple of times. Yeah, and, and another one as well um that is with me that, that uh I've pulled that on a few times and it not not often she's like once a season or something right like that right it's right are always they're in a meet they're you know they their standards are at 50 and and they want to jump off a pole <laughs> and I'm like yeah okay yeah. Know, well it's not a good idea well, I think I can do all right well let's <laughs> give it a shot maybe can <laughs> um
0: but, right yeah <laughs> whatever No, I... So be it. Yeah, I know. And, you know, it's like, um, it's so funny because I was talking to my brother the other night about movies because what else do we have to do sometimes during these times but watch movies. But we talked about uh, the movie Days of Thunder. If you're not familiar with this, it's a Tom Cruise movie, but it's like Robert Duvall is the crew chief. Tom Cruise is the driver, and I think that's one of those great movies where you can see that dynamic of of athlete and coach play out, and they butted heads at first. They had to build that relationship, and again, I think if anybody out there that's coaching, it's like – You have to realize this is a big part, and if you do get fortunate enough that someone who's coming into you, like like the examples you gave, Ed, of of the athletes that you've worked with, where they have some experience, they have some knowledge. Um, I don't know. if Do you know who uh, Kadon Samuels is? No. So he's the Jamaican national record holder. He's jumped 17.8. So I I've had right. some opportunities to work with him and same thing it's like you know when he comes in I have to respect the fact like okay one he spent time with Petrov you know he's worked with a, a very I mean Petrov is arguably the best coach ever right and it's like you know so it's like I have to respect the fact that he's coming in here with knowledge I have to build that relationship and massage it and we both have to see if this is something that's going to work out you know Um, unfortunately geography was the biggest issue for me and Kadan. He was so far into Connecticut. It was a long drive, but you know, it's like, you always have to see that even now. Currently, you know, I coach Peter Roach who he jumped at Cornell. He's a seventeen-nine guy. And you know, initially it's like, okay, well Pete, what do you want to do? What are some things you're looking for from this? Okay. Well, let me, let me try to sprinkle in a little bit of this. What do you think about that? And then slowly, you know what I mean? It's like, it's now a relationship where, yeah, Pete, Pete, trusts me, you know, he, he trusts me very, very, very much. And and we, you know, we work together very, very well, um, even to the point where I think what's Pete has realized now is, you know, so many years into being a post collegiate. It's like he's realized, OK, you have life factors. You have a full time job. You're traveling to practice from Manhattan. You can only get X number of workouts in a week. It's not like when you were at Cornell where you were an athlete first kind of deal, you know? Um, And so, you know, yeah, ideally we might want to be on 16-foot poles, but we're at the point of the season where you're not ready for that. Let's stick to the stiffer 15s, you know? And so it's like – and we can work through that together instead of dealing – you know how it is. Sometimes athletes that aren't like conscious of those kind of things, they will fight you and be like, no, no, I want to be on the bigger poles. Like you don't believe in me. It's like, no, no, it has nothing to do with my belief in you. This is just facts. You're hitting this mid-mark. This is where you're taking off from. This is what you can handle right now. I'm not going to put you on a pole that I know you can't handle. You know? And so yeah. these are things that kind of always have to be worked out, you know?
1: Yeah. One of the biggest challenges that I run into with um, with higher-level athletes, athletes with some mileage on is them, is the injury factor. And yeah. working through working through that with a, with a good athlete is, mm. is challenging because – you know I've beat myself up enough over the years and I've had enough athletes over the years have all kinds of injuries that, that I'm real familiar with right where where the limits are right and it, the athletes as soon as they start feeling better or whatnot, not they they're ready to go um, and and that's when you reactivate injuries
2: and you right. try to contain an athlete's excitement and get them to just
1: Tone it back and focus on biomechanics, et cetera, so that they're not only building good motor skills and good technical um, and gaining good technical development, but they're also not re-aggravating that injury during that period is critical. You you know, one of the things you can really maximize during injury recovery, in my experience, is – technical proficiency, you can really clean yeah. up a lot of things because you have to contain yourself. And if you're containing yourself, it's toned down a little bit and you can actually go through the motions a little better. Uh, it's a little easier, and more advantageous to focus so on your technique it, during those times.
0: Right. So, uh, so it, how it, do you... it can be
1: tough with those better
0: athletes so, who want to take off and go. So when you have someone coming back from injury, um, how do you... Because what I feel always is you have to control the intensity and the volume because, right? Like yeah. you're coming back, you're a little bit weaker state. You may want to do, like, you know, 25-7 left approaches on your first day back, but you and I both know that intensity level and the volume is so high, you may re-aggravate the injury. What what are some things, like, for people that are listening, what are some things you would recommend, like, when you have that higher-end athlete, let's say, like, a 17-footer or a 13-foot female, you know, they're coming back from an injury – how how do you control the intensity and volume? What what are some some progressions or, or process that you use? So,
1: sure. So so there's a couple different things. Uh, the first is that you have to be communicating with each other, and mm-hmm. and that's one of the things athletes love to hide things from you because they mm-hmm. want to jump and they know that you might tell them, okay, we got to stop. So right. they, you know that that's the first. You got to make the athlete tell you what's going yeah. on. And just because you're hurting doesn't mean we're going to stop necessarily, but I need to know, and I need to know, are you hurting more than you were, you know, five minutes ago, that kind of thing. Right. Um, the next is, you know, it gets into the individual athlete. You know, every every scenario is different and and where they are, what kind of injury it was, how far they are aligned, the recovery process, you know, what their condition is, how long they are off, all that plays into where you're going to start them. Right. Maybe it's just, you know, basic, you know, biomechanics or it's very slow approach whatever or or short approach um right once you figure out what that baseline is then you start you you really as a coach you you need to be very tuned in with your athlete um Mm -hmm. you need to understand how their body moves how their body works so that you can see even if they're not telling you or even if they're not aware of it you can see when their body's giving those little signs, the intensity is,
0: you know, 10% off. Or right. Or maybe,
1: well, maybe it's only on two steps right before they take off. You can tell they're getting a little flatter than
0: they normally Yeah, they're like backing be. they're off because they don't want that. the impact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and if, especially if you're dealing with Achilles tendon injury or something like that, that's where you're going to have a major problem. That continues, right. and when you so, – so, you know, figuring out where – you know, how you follow the progressions and all that really kind of is, is a case-by-case basis. You know, yeah. you go down to four less and then back five, six, seven, et cetera. Or maybe you just start back at six, seven, eight. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got to know, once you figure out where the performance level is, you need to watch out for those, those, those physical signs that I you can think. detect. And hopefully you're tuned in enough that you can so that you can say, you know what? That, that's two or three in a row where I've seen this and this is actually, and you're, you're aware of the like I that told you and you're trying to focus on it and you're not able to correct. It. That's where we shut it down because it's not going to give you better at this point. We know that your body's going to take a spill if we, if we push this much further. Let's shut it down now. We'll come back tomorrow or the next day and we'll, maybe we only got five jumps in today off of that many lefts. We're going to try for six or seven next time. right? And then I, we're immediately going to show that what we're not going to do is push you into that zone where you're feeling pain again. We're going to push you up a little further than you were last time and then we're going to stop. A little further than you were last time. And once we get up to where we're at 90% performance,
0: then we're pretty much good to go. Yeah, I I, I think that's, that's such a big thing that you're pointing out. It's like, you have to, you know, develop your coaching eye, right? And I and it's funny, I, I just published a blog article yesterday about you know how video sometimes tends to slow your progress uh, developing your coaching eye, but you have to watch for those physical signs. Like, you know, if you see their hips or knees buckling in the run, and like you said, you've said, Hey, you got to run tall and they've tried twice to run tall and they can't like, you're right. You got to shut it down. And because it's like in those early stages of someone coming back, it's about quality, not quantity initially. And like you said, progressively you start to add more volume, as they can handle it session after session, not on the first day back. Hey, let's just keep going until you get it right. Cause they might not be possible of getting it right. The first session back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess we should go, go back. So, all right, you vault, you're coaching yourself, you know, all this stuff. How did you end up? Well, you, and you said you, you ended up coaching Janice Kepler at the collegiate level. How did you end yeah. up starting the club now?
1: Um, well, basically, when I came to D.C. in 2008, uh, well, pri- let me back up, prior to that, when I was coaching at Eastern Michigan University, one of the things that was really getting on my nerves was taking w- was bringing in incoming freshmen mm-hmm. and then having to spend their entire freshman year breaking them down and, right. and, and reprogramming everything. Right. So I started doing, um, you yeah, know, I've been doing clinics and things for a while, but I started doing regular club-type practices, if you will, yeah, you know, seasonal practices quarterly. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, the last couple of years I was at Eastern Michigan University for the purpose of grooming incoming freshmen to basically okay. get all that, that out of their system. Right. Uh, when I had my first freshman class that would have been coming in, that was actually my I left, uh, okay. Michigan and came to DC. Uh, and then that, that class dispersed, um, around Michigan. And they actually did pretty darn well. Um, University of Michigan record homer, um, Grand Valley State record holder, et cetera. Um, but uh, when I came to D.C., I really wasn't sure what I was going to do. I was a little bit burnt out in coaching because I, I had taken, like, to be conference champions, national championship finalists, et cetera. That, that, yeah. that puts a lot of mileage on you. Yeah. Um, so I, I actually started the club in D.C., on accident, what I was doing was simply looking for a place that I could do some of my own jumping and
2: just focus on yeah.
1: myself for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but in order to do that, I had to build a relationship with a with a facility, and, and they had a girl that, that wanted to do some jumping. So I said, "Okay, fine, she'll be my my jumping kind of thing, and I'll, I'll give her some tips." Um, but I don't really want to do much more than that right now. Yeah, um, but you know that there's that weird weird coaching bug thing I guess
2: that yeah. some of us have
1: and you don't realize it you start getting drawn back into it and you know before long I had a group of like six kids and then you know a dozen and then you know I had a couple of assistant coaches that I started to develop and then you know all of a sudden we've got like 30 and then 40 and then 50 yeah. um And then I'm like, well, I need to go find another location so I can train myself because I can't train at this facility anymore because i got so many kids that I'm working with and I don't have time. So I'll I'll go set up another spot, which technically is for me, but I'll kind of dual use it to start developing some more elite athletes because I kind of am interested in getting back into that again. Right. so I did that, but then, you know, I had this great incoming class, and that was where I got, you know, Olivia Gruber, Calvin Denny, and, and Josh Alcone, all of these and Molly Minnick, all, all of these the same classes, all beginners, and I, and I recognized the potential in them, so... Like, well, shoot, you know, now I got to go back to that mode and I got to start working with these guys like five days a week. Right. And, and all of a sudden I've got, you know, about serving five athletes, five assistant coaches, three different facilities, and, and it's just kind of gone out of control and I'm not
2: jumping at all. Just, right. Um,
1: <laughs> so so I, I just kind of gave it.
0: No, I, I mean, I, I think that's great, and I, you know, something that sticks out to me listening to your story, it's like I think sometimes as coaches we don't realize how little time we have to jump because you have to coach other people. You know, I mean, I, I feel like you always get, you always end up doing a drill or something like that to demonstrate. You know what I mean? But it's like you can't really like train the vault because, you know, I, I strongly believe this. As a coach, your job is to help other people. You know, and I think when you're doing that, it, you know, like, look, you're, you're just not, you can't focus on yourself and your own jumping a lot of times. And especially like, like what you're describing, you know, it's it's similar, like we have similar numbers at, at our club, you know, when you have over 50, over 70, maybe a hundred athletes, it's like, well, there's only so many hours in the day, you know what I mean? And there's a lot of things that you have to take care of. I mean. We're right now in this podcast really talking about the coaching end, and I, I don't think we need to get into the business end. But it's like on top of the coaching end, it's like you have to take care of a lot of paperwork. You know, there's a lot of things that you have to make sure are in line. You know, it's like like you know I started off mentioning you know I I remember when you started posting about the the, the new facility that you guys put together with the three pits and all the lifting equipment. I'm like, oh my god! I mean, first of all, beautiful, beautiful setup. You know, and it's like, well. You know that wasn't free. <laughs> you know it's like you had to figure out how you can actually get that accomplished. You know, and what what I also love, by the way, because I remember talking to Chris Chappell of UCS, probably around 2012. I was like, oh my god, you guys should design like a little kid pit, because a lot of times the problem with younger athletes, like kids who are five, six years old, even, who maybe want to try. Um, Sorry, we lost Ed for a second. Let me get him back on the line. Hey, you there?
1: Yeah, dropped off right when you
0: said yeah. talking to Chris. Dude, you you just you just did a, a this first time that we've lost a call during the podcast. So that you're the first one. <laughs> you 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 have that that honor. <laughs> oh, great! My, my personality. <laughs> yeah, but um, uh, no, yeah, wait, wait, like. So you were just talking about? You said something about. I, t- I talked to yeah I talked to Chris Chappell around 2012 about oh you guys should make a little kid pit because with younger athletes five six seven years old a lot of times it's just like they can't get high enough in the air to get on the mats so if you have like a lower set of mats and I, I love that one time you made the post where you guys got that done you know it's like that's that's awesome like how how did you get to that point? You know what I mean, where you you have this uh, amazing facility. Um, like, what was your what was your thought that went into it? Like, why did you pick the things that you picked? Like, first of all, tell everybody like what are the three pits? Like, what are the different sizes? Why did you pick those sure. sizes? You know all that kind of stuff. Because I'm sure there's people yeah. listening who're like, if I get my own facility, like, what kind of pit should I get?
1: Sure, absolutely. So of course, I like all other coaches in the world. I obsess you know, nonstop about, mm-hmm. oh, if I had my own facility, what would I do? Well, when it came to this one, um, you know, I had spent, you know, years thinking about different layouts and all that. But what guided this one was the range of athletes that we were working with and that we were developing. Okay. So it goes down to the little five-year-old and six-year-old kids that were starting to show up for God knows what reason yeah. to the the, the elite truly professional level athletes that we were also developing and working with. Right. Um, and everything in between, I you know, the adults that were like, hey, I saw this on television and I remember wanting to do it in high school, but I never did. I'm like 38. Can I try it? Yeah. Um, so when I built the facility out, I looked at, you know, how many athletes we had and how difficult it was you'd be using facilities that have one plant box and how could I break these groups down and how would I ideally like to do it? So I designed right. this facility to accommodate all of those athletes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the little kids pit that you mentioned, we, we literally had, you know, UCS build us a pit. Apparently they had built one other, when I contacted them and, and Chris and said, Hey, you know, this is what I need. Yeah, so like, you know, Hey, one, one other guy, had us do this a while back. It was Lubka.
2: Uh, okay.
1: He had it for for these clinics he's doing, so we've actually got the design. So they showed it to me, and I was like, "That's great." Make it a little bit thicker because I, I, I think these kids are going to whack their. You know, it, yeah. the one he designed was for a multi-use. It was long jump, high jump, hand pole, multi. Oh. Okay. All three. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't very. like <laughs> that. Chris. I think it was Mike might actually okay. you know track me down at uh at the pen relays the year I was ordering all this stuff and they were um I hadn't actually met either of them face to face. i talked to them on the phone but I yeah. didn't recognize them when they came up and they were like What the heck? You know, <laughs> what are you ordering this stuff for? And yeah. they wanted to know because apparently nobody in a private organization had ordered uh, those standards before, so it was kind all of right. a big I think it was him that I saw recently on social media, got some jammers as well. Mm-hmm. Great attachment to a rig to work on the drive and plant um, for athletes and strength development. It was designed for football players, right. but it's really ideal for pole vaulters. Great right. piece of equipment. People should look into that. Um, but yeah, we, we've got everything that we need. I train my you know, emerging elite development program where we go like nine months out of the year. We do it all right there on site. Um, and some of the longer sprints and things will need a track to track access, uh, access for that, but everything else we've, we've got right there, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's resistance sleds platforms for working out the top end, uh, strings, all of it's out there.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, that that's, that's really amazing. And, and the thing that I, I really like, and I love seeing, you know, on your Instagram is, you know, you guys really do work with everyone, little kids all the way to elite. And I love the fact that you guys take in adults who've never pole vaulted before. Cause I, I feel like sometimes people shy away from that and I don't know why, yep. but it's like for the sport to become more popular, you want people to try it. Who've never done it before. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think like, like we kind of went off on a tangent earlier about like when you get an athlete who's maybe jumped for 10 years and they already jumped, you know, 13, 17 feet, whatever. And, um, there's, that's a certain situation of how you handle that. But it's like, man, if you're getting an adult that's never pole vaulted, awesome. You get to introduce another person to this awesome sport, you know, and they, they find out how, how much fun they can have and how it motivates them to get into better shape. I think the thing that people, it really escapes them is look, not everybody wants to go to the gym, you know, three, four times a week and work out. That seems like really boring and it seems like more work, right? But when you introduce them to an event like Pole Vault, You know, the event itself is one physical activity, but two, it's so much fun that it actually motivates you to start to do some of that workout stuff that you didn't originally want to do, right? So it's like, imagine I never pole vaulted before. I'm 39 years old. I show up at DC vault. You start showing me how to vault. I'm having a fun time with it. And now all of a sudden you're like, Hey, you know what might help you? Why why don't you use the jammers a little bit? Why don't you try to do some ring work? Why don't you do some pull-ups? How about some squats? And now I'm like, yeah, well, I want to jump higher. So I will do that. Before you know it, now I'm in way better shape and I'm having a blast doing it. And I think that's what people forget about pole vault. We we can offer something that a lot of like the fitness stuff can't offer because it's so much fun and you're getting into shape. Um, And the thing is, you and I both know the more popular our sport becomes, the more we're going to see elite vaults, elite jumps, and elite competitions. You know, that all becomes now more accessible if we grow the sport. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and I tell you, you know, for, for any
1: potential um, coaches out there that are they're doing their own clubs that may listen to to your podcasts, um, that that adult market is something that's overlooked. One of the challenges that it had before we built out our new site was that it's it's difficult to work with those of athletes, like the, the outliers, the young kids, and the adults. Mm-hmm. They're hard to work in with a single pit, a single runway. And my advice would be. Um, if you've got more than two, uh, don't mm. do it. Don't not, And I don't mean don't work with them. What I mean is don't try to cram them in with a bunch of teenagers who are just kicking butt left and right. right. Because the worst thing for a 30-year-old adult is to go into a group of 20 teens Right. Who are all killing it on their own way and to feel very awkward and start. It's like it's like a, an adult trying to start karate class with a bunch of little kids and, right. and the adult's a white belt and they're all brown belts. You know, right. it's just an awkward feeling. So if you can if you if you can set aside a separate time block for the adults, they right. will love it. They yeah. absolutely do. And the best way to do it, um, I have found is not to force them into your regular training structure initially. Instead host a one off pole vault uh, adult pole vaulting experience. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we started doing that when we partnered with an organization called DC Frey, which started out as a kickball organization that grew into this massive sporting physical adult social sort of conglomerate here in DC. Okay. And they reached out to us trying to add something cool and new to their offerings and so we said, yeah, we'll do it. We'll put together a two-hour adult pole vault experience for,
2: for yeah. beginners
1: who've never done this before. We strip out everything that's complex about it, and we teach people how to how to run with a pole, how to drive into the pit, how to swing, and how to turn. And right. we do that within an hour and a half by focusing on a couple of really basic fundamental things. Right. And at the end of that they're going over bars and having a competition among their different groups. Right. Um, and, it, every and, and and you know, we don't charge – actually, we don't charge anything. We just do it for free and, and, mm-hmm. and let Frey charge their very small entry fee for it. Right. And then it, as a result, everybody has a blast. It's very quick. It's very fun. It's a one-day thing. There's no commitment to do it longer. It's just, hey, this is cool. Let's go try that for a change. Right. And – Every time we do that, we get at least one, usually two or three adults who immediately turn right back around and sign up for regular adult training classes. Right. right. Um, so, I, I really, and, and that, the same holds true for the young kids. Like, people don't think of it, and this always boggles my mind because of how complex you and I know the polling
2: is. Yeah.
1: People, when, when I approach adults who have got kids in the park or something, like, hey, you know, this kid looks ideally athletic for for this. You should try it out. We work with little kids and it's like a six or seven-year-old kid. The parent's like, well, you know, maybe when they get in high school they should start doing that or something along those lines because, you know, they're too young to start it now. And and I always... Compare that with gymnastics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, would you say that to me if I was a gymnastics coach? Right. Because I have level ten gymnasts come to me all the time, and their moms are always reaching out and saying, "Oh, my my kid's a level ten gymnast," you know. So it'll be real easy for them, and I, I just sort of laugh to myself. Yeah. Because, uh, because every time I hear that, eight out of ten times the kid absolutely struggles because it's the only challenging thing they've ever had in their life growing up with gymnastics. But pole vaulting is that that challenging. It's not easy right. to do. You can't just pick it up and go if you're trying to do it right.
0: Right and it take, the it idea takes that time. you
1: wait until you're almost an adult and that's the time you should start training it without building that foundation. You know, I think I think people like Boopka and Mondo and Sean Barber throw those ideas out the window. You know, well, people started when they were very young.
0: So, um, yeah, in, I think you bring, in, up, in years developing you, you bring up a great point. Because our sport isn't super popular, most people don't start till their high school age. And like you're bringing right. up, you know, those three examples of Boopka, Mondo, and Sean Barber. You get to see what happens when, at a young age, people start to develop and learn the skills, and they really—you know what I mean—like they're really learning the skill. I mean, look at any other professional sport that is really top top level, like whether it's football, uh, baseball, uh, the fighting world. You, the the phenoms are the ones that that really started at a young age. You know, they've been doing it. You know. And I think pole vault could be like that. And we I think we would all be shocked if, if the average pole vaulter started when they were, let's say, six or seven years old. I mean, I can't imagine what the numbers would look like through high oh, school. Right. You know what I mean? Like, oh god, yeah, they're, absolutely. They're, and and this is where really for our sport to pick up. One thing that I think people don't understand is we need to have multiple levels of competitions. You know, I think sure you're going to have the kids that are top, 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 and those are maybe the kids that are going to win your state titles. But we also need the competitions for for everyone so they can be a part of it and be able to compete. You know. Um, I just, I think that grows to a certain point. There's going to be a need for multiple competitions at multiple different levels because we don't want anyone to turn away from our sport. I think sometimes there's almost a mentality in pole vault. It's like, oh well, if you're not going to win a state title, what's the point? It's like, wait a second. How many kids are playing football and literally never get to see the field in four years of high school? You know, that, that, that reminds me of this. This um.
1: Years ago, and I, I may have told you this, um, you know, last time we were hanging out, I can't remember, but I, I was working with, um, well, actually it was a training partner of mine. Mm-hmm. He had this, uh, this young female friend, she was pro, I guess she was, we were in college at the time, I think, and she was, um, like maybe a high school senior. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> she had been pole vaulting since she was a freshman. Okay. Really short girl. Not very athletic, you know um, she certainly wasn't going go to go the Olympics or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had been struggling and so my friend asked you know asked me if I'd work with her a little bit and I said, sure and so she came over for a training session with me and we're, we're working and and I was you know, I think her PR was maybe like six or seven feet or something like that right And you know I had her focusing on something. Real basic, fundamental. And she, she was starting to get it, but she kind of had this mindset of, I can't do this, so, you know, she had almost given up already kind of thing. Right. was um, right. Sort of a last-ditch last hope for her. And she was getting frustrated, and, you know, I kept saying, but no, I'm seeing encouraging signs here. Like, you're, you're going to get this, and you're going to execute this movement we're working on, whatever it was at the time, I don't remember. Um, and, uh, you know, all of a sudden... She she went into the pit and she you know hit the bungee again and and she started crying and you know I asked her well, you know what's wrong and she she said you know I'm I'm graduating in a couple of weeks and I'm just I'm never going to get this and and it's you know I'm not going to be good at it I, I'm not going to win or something like this yeah and I, I stopped her I was like well why do you vault and and she looked at me so well, what do you mean and and I said well. Are, are you pole vaulting because you want to go to the Olympics someday? Are you pole vaulting because you want to get a full-ride scholarship at a D1 university? Are you pole vaulting because you like it? Well, why are you pole vaulting? And she said, well, I do it because I like it. Yeah. I said, so, well, then what are you crying about? You what are you upset about? We're, we're, we're pole vaulting. We're doing this thing. Yeah. We're, we're actually doing it right now. Right. And if, if your goal is to enjoy yourself... Start enjoying yourself, you know. Right. I mean, don't don't worry about all this other stuff. And I mean it was like clouds cloud parted. Mm-hmm. You know, instantaneously. She just, just her whole demeanor changed and you know we were, we certainly didn't go twelve feet that day. Right. But, but I mean she just started enjoying <laughs> yourself and jumping. Right and, and and the next day I got a call from my friend. He's like, What did you say to her? I go, what do you mean? She she was so happy. She called me up and she said it was boring experience you ever had. This man, I was like, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> 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 I-, I just, you know, at the time I wasn't thinking into it. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, it just seems like common sense to me. But, but I mean, that—that that is the thing you get at, like. Drawing crowds of hundreds to right. the streets, or to beaches, or to malls, right. on a weekly basis during the summer to watch pole I don't see, you know, it, it just doesn't happen. It's a, it's an incredibly exciting uh, sport, and yeah. and I think people are starting to get wind of that. And and the more that young people like Mondo start to to come out into the, the field and, and get attention, like he's gonna he's gonna be great for the sport. I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that's going to help. And, and, and the more that clubs and, and other organizations accommodate yeah. the, the outliers, the yeah. young kids and the adults into their programming so that when people reach out, your, your answer is, well, no, we don't really do that. It's, it's oh, yeah, we actually have a program for you. Come on in and do this. Right. Um, I think that the faster
0: it's going to spread. Right. And and I, I, so, you know, again, just to kind of drive this point home, it's like, you know, like you said, we have to accommodate as many people as possible, right? We have to be inclusive. You know, I think that mentality sometimes in the pole vault is like, well, you know, I don't know if this kid is going to, you know, jump in college or, oh, I don't know if they could win counties, so let's put them in a different event or, you know, no, I, I want every everyone to try, you know, I want everyone to try pole vault because one, if they love it and they enjoy it, that's huge, you know? Um, yep. and, and I'll give two stories about this. I mean, one, um, I had a, a girl join my club her junior year of high school, which, which, you know, two years, is a little bit of a time crunch, you know, they might not get everything they're supposed to. The other thing is like the girl wasn't terribly tall. She wasn't going to like win a state title Uh, but she ended up jumping nine for me and, and listen, Ed, you know, you've probably had some, some girls jump nine that had a better technical jump than guys who jumped 15, (laughs) you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking of an example right now that I got of this one girl, um, uh, who I won't get into, but I mean, just blew my mind with what she did, um, before she, uh
0: went on to other things. Right. And so this girl, you know, Shannon ended up jumping nine. It was a beautiful jump. And she just fell in love with the club. I mean, she would come in three days a week. She would stay extra and do all the workouts. Really started to create a lot of bonds with people at the club. Like, she was friends with a lot of people. And I remember before she went off to college, you know, her mom stopped me. She goes, Bronco, I know you're busy with a session. But I just, I wanted to talk to you before, you know, she goes off to college. I go, yeah, what's up? She goes, listen. She goes, when I brought my daughter here... She was physically and mentally broken from gymnastics and you saved her. You gave her a home, you know? And it, like I almost started crying right there. I'm like, oh my God, I can't cry in front of all these kids right now, you know? But, you know, I, I gave – you know, we, we hugged each other, the me and the mom, and it was just – That's the beautiful thing that we could do with our sport. I think many sports are capable of providing that, but we can do that. And in a lot of respects, I almost think that is more valuable than even coaching a state champion, a national champion. The the fact that we can help people like that, you know, um, the other thing, I think a lot of times people don't realize if you turn people away, you don't understand. You're not just turning away that person. You're turning away everyone that person knows. So as an example, I had another girl a few years back from a high school. She came in. Oh, my goodness. And she jumps for me in college now, you know. And uh, she would come down and just like poke at the box and almost helicopter over every bar. I I think her PR was seven when she came to the club, you know. And I'm just like, oh, this is going to be rough, you know. But, you know, I always worked hard with her. We drilled, we drilled, and by her senior year, she jumped 9-6, you know? Again, it's not a world beater, but it was very good for her, and it was she was working hard and she loved the club. If I turn that person away, well, from that same high school, because of that girl, because that girl recommended us, I have a 15-foot high school boy this year. Because now, this many years later, he started coming a couple years ago because she recommended us. And, you know, he jumped 15 this year. Well, I would have never got that 15-footer if I didn't coach her. You know? And I think people don't realize you're turning people away. You have to be willing to work with everyone. And you never know who might walk through the door because maybe that 9-foot girl goes, Hey, you know what? Love that club. Love that coach. Great environment. You should check it out. It's a lot of fun. And that's what gets well, that, people in, you know? Yeah,
1: and that and, that and, the, and their, their, their coaches as well, like at their high school track teams. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had I've had coaches that I, I, I'd forgotten about. You know, it had been six, seven, eight years since any athlete from their school came to me because they just hadn't had any vaulters that, that wanted to, to do anything serious. And then all of a sudden the coach, all of a sudden this kid shows up and he's like, yeah, coach, coach Youngblood, this guy constantly does this. Yeah. You know, told me I should come here. Um, right. Because, and I'm like, who? who? And, and he's like, well, he said you coached some kid back in 2009. Right. And, and you know, the coaches remember that and they're like, oh, I had this one kid who was, who was serious about it and, and they enjoyed it. and Yeah. you know, now I've got another kid, so I'm going to refer them over kind of thing. So you're right. absolutely right. I mean, every, every athlete can, can potentially lead you to more athletes but but i mean you you know you come back to the same point a couple times over but you know each time you and i talk actually about yeah. sort of working with kids and there was this old guy named uh Oren mitchell he's not a around mark, but he's a really cool guy up in michigan that okay. didn't work a lot of balters he had a club up there one of the only ones up there at the time i guess mm-hmm. um and i always heard him say this thing and it didn't, I didn't really understand it until maybe four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. But he'd always say, you know, if somebody was talking to me, he'd always say, I have a weakness for wanting to help young people become better yeah. in life. And and, 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 and I, I didn't understand what he meant by that. You know, he, he kept saying it over and over and, and it just sort of stuck with me. It's it, it, a mantra in my head, but I didn't know why.
2: Um, yeah. and, and
1: it's, I see it now, like, there's something about, you know, some coaches, especially at the collegiate level, but then, you know, I can understand in some cases they, they look at numbers. Yeah. But, but the club level, or or your own private business level, whatever it is, Yeah. you know, I, I find it difficult to turn people away. Um, I, I need to, you know, provide different training environments for different levels of athletes, mm-hmm. but whether it's... A kid who has no potential to be a, a great vaulter, uh, but is enthusiastic and dare they want to do it. As long as somebody wants to learn and is excited about trying something, right? I can't say no to them. I don't know why I've got this weakness, <laughs> right? That, that I can't, I can't turn them down, and right. you know, it it it, it's, it it also goes with with you know the. I've run into this a couple of times at a different level where I get, I get an athlete that you know they they end up you know they basically without so much saying it they're basically you know screw you I'm out kind of thing yeah you, know, you guys suck whatever or or they 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 just disrespect you in some way or whatever it is
2: yeah
1: I get so ticked off with it but then. They come back, you know, a year later or something, they're like, well, yeah, I kind of want to jump on you. I need some help. And it's almost like, I don't know how bad somebody kind of screws me over or, or whatever. I, I really find it difficult, I've noticed, yeah. to then tell them no when it. Ask for assistance. Yeah, I don't know why that is. Uh, I don't know if it's just a coaching thing. I don't know if it's our sport. I don't know if it was that old arm or Mitchell sticking that mantra in my head. Whatever it is, but it's just sort of a unique
0: environment. Yeah, well, and and I think it's part of being just a a good person. You know what I mean? And I think I think to be a coach, like I said, like you have to be there to help others. And I think that's the thing. So whether it's helping someone clear seven feet or helping someone clear seventeen feet. Or, and like you said I, I've had similar situations I remember literally kicking somebody out of my club right because like you said they're being disrespectful or something and then that person was in a tough spot and I'm like all right yeah why don't you come back <laughs> you know what I mean and yeah. and and it's like well I you know if like the person's sorry and they want to come back and hey don't do you know, let's, let's figure this out, you know? And I, and I think that's, that's really important. And I think these are the things that all of a sudden, you know, I think, sure, if you want to coach pole vault, you have to figure out the whole, like, you know, making adjustments, you know, up a grip, up a pole, down a grip, down a pole. You have to learn about process and procedure of how to teach the skills. Right. But it's like, that's all like, yeah, you to, to be a pole vault coach, you absolutely need that. Right. But it's like all this other stuff is what becomes even more important to to be a coach. I mean, I posted, um, I guess, two nights ago, I posted something from Jackson Winklejohn. It's a, a really, really high-end uh, MMA gym in New Mexico. I mean, they, they, they teach general public, but they also have, like, some professional UFC fighters, and they're a very well-known gym. And the, the coach, uh, Greg Jackson, you know, he, he, he was uh, – um, He was explaining, he goes, look, like, you know, first things first, he goes, you know, you have to build a culture. You know you have to be uh, you have to be a problem solver and you have to build a culture you have to constantly solve problems so whether that's teaching someone a skill figuring out how like with you you said okay with the adults that have never vaulted before we have to have a separate session for them to kind of introduce them into the sport I think that's a great idea you know um, so you have to solve these problems and then you have to create that culture and that is really how you create a club that's how you create you know a gym you know um, so these are things that it- even go beyond just knowing the poleful. You know, this is knowing how to deal with people, how to create a culture, how to create an organization, and I think that's some of the most important stuff. You know.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. And, and, and I tell you, and you know this so well. Um, you know, if you're actually going to run a professional organization, uh, you're not you're not just going to. Plop up at a school somewhere, or do something in a backyard, or whatever it is that that you do that we've all done at some point,
2: right? Yeah.
1: Um, but but you're actually going to make a significant investment in both, you know, assets and your own time commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, you you have to you you've got to take into so many things into consideration with with how you're going to manage that business, how you're going to, to organize the training for the athletes, how you're going to bring people in, how you're going to sustain it. Um, and if your only motivating factor, I think, is, is to just sort of make money, you can do that, but I don't think you're going to be very successful in pole vaulting if you're doing that. Yeah. Um. I, I think you'll you'll fizzle out at some point because I think all of these other things that you're kind of hitting on with these relationships and whatnot. Yeah. I think if you're, you know, what what drives you to succeed if it if it's if it's financial is is your core value in that. I think that uh, at least for me, I feel like it would be very hard to succeed because if I was doing that, I would start cranking out classes. I cram through as many. In the short time period as I could, I just try to get that done as quick as possible so I yeah. can get in the next group, etc. And I, I think that it'd be very difficult to, to do that. I think if your if your heart's in the right place and your 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 passion is to develop athletes and to provide the best training that you can for each level of athlete that you're working with, all of them, um, and not shunning certain athletes.
0: Hundred um, percent. Yeah. Then. Right.
1: Fitness. Um. But but there's a there's a lot of different dynamics
0: that go into it. Yeah. And, I I, I think even – the right. Like, what, yeah. sorry to cut you off, but yeah, like I sure. think what you're saying there is like one. The number one can't be the dollar. And you were alluding to it just now. It's like the number two. It's like if you only want to coach because you want to coach the winner. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like kind of like a selfish thing. Like I'm coaching because I want to be the stud coach. That's not going right. to work out long term either. You know, it's like yeah. uh, you, you have to be selfless. You are serving others. You know what I mean? Yep. It's like yep. that. That's what it's got to be about. You know I mean? I'll even, I'll give you an analogy. When you go to a restaurant and you have a great waiter, they take care of you, right? That waiter or waitress, they take care of you. They make sure your night is wonderful, but we've all had bad waiters. They literally are just annoyed. They seem like, oh, what? Oh, you want another refill? Oh. You know, it's like, that's not going to work out that, that waiter's not, not going to have a successful waiting career. You know what I mean? And it's like the same thing as a coach. Like you have to be there for your clients. You know what I mean? Um, and I think as long as you're, I I think if like, you're new to this, right? Like, let's say someone's like just starting a club, like once this is all over, right? Like this summer, they're going to start a club. I think as long as you always try to be there for your athletes and you do what's right for them. That's going to steer you in the right direction, at least. You know, I mean, you're going to make mistakes. You, there's going to be bumps in the road, but if you're always just trying to do best for your athletes, you, you're going to be going in the right direction. I think.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I think so. And 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 here's the thing that if you're if you're you know if you're if you're a collegiate coach, you can do things a little bit differently. For example, mm-hmm. if you're a Division One coach and you're in a highly competitive conference. You know you've got to follow certain guidelines to do what you're there to do which means that you've got to accept you know depending on where you're at you you may be only able to accept certain athletes and your your whole mission is to win a conference title and and go to nationals right you can't do that if you've got 20 athletes Right. You can't do that on a consistent basis year after year if you've got 20 athletes. So, so in that environment, um, you can do things a certain way. But, but if you're in, you know, the environment that we're in and you're trying to run a business, you don't run that business off of elite athletes. I'll tell you that right now. They don't pay you enough for the hours that you put in.
2: Ever. Right, right.
1: Um, you know, all of our elite development athletes, they don't pay anything. They're, it's all free uh, because they, they couldn't afford my time if I was to actually charging them for the amount of time I put in on them. Right. Um, so, so they do work for the organization. Um, but you find those elite athletes there's not you know there's not 10,000 out there you right. find them just over time it's just the numbers yeah and, you know they, they rotate through on a regular basis yeah. um, you you've just got to be able to identify the talent when it's coming through and then you know you hope you hope that that talent has the right personality to match because that's, right. that's the biggest challenge I yeah. see all kinds of talent come through every year yeah. but I'd say out of You know, I would say one out of five or maybe even one out of seven athletes who have elite potential have the right attitude to go with that potential. The rest of them are going to wash out at some point because they just have the wrong attitude even if you force them into a structure eventually their attitude is going to take over and whatever it is they've got with their personality is going to defeat their end objective Um, so I I think but I think what I'm getting at there is that it's just a matter of time like for any any newer clubs that are out there or or coaches who've got really good skills but haven't had a a long track record yet Mm -hmm. it's just a matter of that right at combination of you know the timing of the athlete coming through and having the right personality as well, and then you having that that opportunity at that point in time to to be able to train the athlete the way they need to train.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: all those variables don't always come together at the same moment, but they'll they'll come together at some point. Yeah, and and then you'll start to see that pattern repeat as time goes on.
0: Yeah. No, I, I mean, listen, I think anybody that does this long enough, you start to see that, that there, there's a pattern, you know, to what's going on and it's going to happen over time. Uh, you know, and so you just, you gotta be patient. You know, I, I think even, you know, um, personally, and I've talked about this on the podcast, you know, there've been years where, you know, I've been very, uh, fortunate. I've coached some good athletes and they've done some amazing things. But then we've had years where you know we just we don't have that type of athlete at the club and the thing is like you know look if you're if you're coaching for the right reasons you're gonna get through those years. Because I know when I go to a meet, my objective or the way I think of it is I'm here for such and such athlete and I'm gonna help them do the best that they can today. That being said, listen, if you don't have the right athlete, they're not gonna be able to win the meet, and if you have the right athlete, they're gonna win very easily. You know, like I was even talking on the phone with a couple uh, coaches uh, this past week and stuff. And it's like, like my one guy who jumped 15 feet um, this year indoors. Look, and listen, I understand too, 15 feet is nothing crazy, but not bad for a high school boy. And yeah, but it's like, you know what? If that kid was at any club in the Northeast, he would have jumped 15 feet. You know, I mean, anybody, any reputable coach, like if he was down with you, he would have jumped at least 15. You know what I mean? But here's the thing. You know what? I don't think he would have jumped 17 with anybody. You know what I mean? Like he's that type of athlete. He's going to be in that range. Let's say that 14.6 to 15.6 range, depending on how things play out. Right. Maybe we all do it a little differently. We have our process, you know, whatever. So what I'm basically trying to get at is. As, as a coach, you just have to realize you, you have to coach, squeeze out the most you can with each athlete that you can, but you have to have the right athletes, you know, and yeah. you, can't, you can't try to cut corners like, you know, obviously, I mean, I, you know, we don't have to really get into this, but, you know, I hear of all these like ugly stories of like coaches trying to poach, you know, and it's like, come on, like Ed, if you're already coaching a, a girl that jumps 12'6". Why, why am I going to walk over and try to get her to switch to my club? First of all, you already got her to 12'6". What am I pr- proving? That I could, like, stand next to her when she takes a picture and when she jumps 12'6"? Like, it it, <laughs> it doesn't matter at that point.
1: <laughs> I and, see that so much. <laughs> yeah.
0: And and you know what I always find funny, though, Ed? No one's trying to poach your 7-foot kid. You know? I know, no- right? It, it, that's the kid that I love, anyway. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> but but but, but, yeah. but but it's like I think that shines through. Like people can see that. If you're that that person is just coaching because you want a winner, ah, man, I don't I don't know. That's not that's not good, you know. Um, yeah, and I I've, I've seen I see that a lot. I mean, I, I understand, like uh, you know
1: that 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 happening in the sense not poaching so much but i I understand like uh when you work with somebody and they're you know they become a high performer and then they're somewhere else i understand the other coach being happy and excited that they got the athlete there but it's when they start sort of you know implying that they've done all this work you know i try i try as best i can when um and in fact, I got to talk to one of my assistants who manages our social media about post me Pete Garrett the other day. Yeah. Um, I try to word things in ways that, that people understand that, that if I've got an athlete that, I, that we've developed, you know, we've developed them. But if I'm working with an athlete who has come in that has developed somewhere else and we're doing some adjustments that, that they understand we're we're. We're you know trying to add to what they've got, but we
2: yeah. you know we,
1: we try to give credit else you know elsewhere. Um, you know, anytime I make a post about uh, Olivia Gruber now, um, you know, I, I try to make sure that I, I I'm, I'm very adamant that you know she's working with Coach Stevenson now and, and she's right. a great job, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I don't say hey, you know, Olivia is. Is doing this because we did this.
0: Yeah. Um, you yeah, know. you're not like, hey, uh, I called Olivia before the meet, I talked to her for five right. minutes, and that inspired <laughs> <Yeah>. that jump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No. We, I try not to do that. Is, yeah, <laughs> no. Really. And, and, you know, it's funny. So I have, um, John Mraz, who's been on the podcast. Um, he coaches his son, Jason, at the club. And I know I spoke to you about this, but when I post about them, I'm always like, Hey, so pumped for, for Jason and John, you know, it's like, cause it's their thing. That's, that's what they're creating, you know, and, you know, do, do, do the coaches at my club and me, do we help them when we can? Of course. If they need help with something, we help them and, and we, we try to, to foster that that journey that they're both going through. But at no no point do I want to seem like I'm taking credit for Jason's results because John coaches him. You know, and I'm yeah, very open yeah. with that. I, I think that's that's where people have to be, you know, almost a little bit careful. Like we want to be transparent. You want to be honest about what's happening. You know, like like you said, yeah. you don't want to just paint with a broad uh, paintbrush and just say, well, anything that's happened under our roof or, you know, at our practices, like 100 percent me. me, me. It, It's you know, like, like, oh, man, like, I don't I don't know. Um, hold on one second. OK, we're good. Um, yeah. So it's like, you know, I, I think that's that's sometimes a little bit like the dangers, like people maybe unintentionally even paint with a huge uh, paintbrush and make it seem that way. And it's like, well, it's not really the story. You know, I think as coaches, we have to try to provide as much uh, information so people do know kind of what's going on, because like I was even trying to explain, it's like look, like certain athletes are going to jump high almost anywhere they go with whoever they're with, you know, as long as it's a, a reputable coach, somebody that knows what they're doing, you know, they're going to jump high, you know, um, yeah. and and that's why I, I always just try to, even when I make a lot of my posts, I'm like, you know, I feel very very lucky and fortunate to be able to coach this person and help them, you know, because that's what we're doing. We're helping them, you know.
1: Well, and anytime I'm working with athletes, like my, my whole criteria for myself is that my athletes have to get better. They always have to be getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 may be, it may be slow, it may be subtle, sure. but they've always got to be going on this upward trajectory.
0: Right.
1: Um, it, it, the one exception I make for that rule is our general adult class, where right. I let them set their standards. Um, I say, okay, you know, you're know, you you're a 30-something-year-old person who's just starting with this. What's your objective? Right. You, know, you just want to have fun? All right, we're just going to have fun. Right. Um, but, but if any any of the other athletes, and especially any athletes who are there to, to you know, self-proclamation is to, to become better or to jump higher, yeah um, that's the standard that I kind of hold myself to is, right. is, is, are my athletes getting better all the time? Are all of them moving in this direction? Right. Um, are we always adding something that's going to let them, even if it's, you know, the younger, not so serious ones, are we at least... Putting in the right technical things and improving on those things so that when they do get a little bit more excited or they do start taking it more serious, maybe because it's a week before the state meeting, they just realize, oh no.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: They, they need to get the let out. Um, are, are we making them better on a day to day basis so that they can perform better? Um, right. And I think as long as we're doing that, we're moving in the right direction. Um, you know, something that, that sort of pops into my head is sort of related indirectly, uh, reference when you're talking about, like, you know, try not to take credit for other people uh, other people's work is that one of the things that drives me crazy is and that I try not to do myself is, mm-hmm. is messing with other coaches or their athletes during competition
0: yes yeah like,
1: we, we all see right things that are going on with an athlete when they jump that, that will say oh well they did this one thing wrong and interfering yeah. with an athlete and their coach during in the middle of the competition because you think you know what's going on in my opinion is the worst thing it's the worst example of of professionalism you can exhibit right um or a poor judgment professionalism that you can exhibit as a a coach is walking up to somebody who's been working with that you don't know maybe five years and you have no clue what's going on where they're at what they're trying to do right now what's going on in the head of that athlete or that coach or um, what's led up to this moment and you say Are up on top or something, you go over yeah. this, you know, or right. you're at, you know, whether it's to, you certainly don't say that to an athlete. Yeah, it's got a coach there, and I've seen that so much, and you don't say it to the coach either because coaches got their minds in a in a zone right there, and they they need right. focusing on what they need to be focusing on, and you certainly don't say it to a coach in front of their athlete, you know, right. Trying to
0: I think it's, you know, as a coach, right, you start developing your coaching eye. You almost like you can't help it but see things and then you want to share what you see. But it's like sure. you have to know. It's like, dude, you can't just go. Like for all you know, it's like let's say you went up to them and you're like, oh, you know, uh, so-and-so is really under. You guys should move back. It's like, well, but, maybe you've been trying to move that kid step back, but they won't take off if they're too far out. You know what I mean? Well,
1: maybe you've gotten them – maybe they used to take off two feet in. And right. you've gotten them back a foot, and it's taking you it three months to make it that far. And right. you know, if you go another inch back at this moment, it's not happening.
2: Right. And yeah, you're you're
1: you know, that's that's like the easiest to understand example for anybody right. listening is that y- you have no idea what's going on in the minds of these folks here. Right. And, and maybe the coach is not focused on or not telling the athlete to deal with this one
0: component because – they're focused on a different component right now that's more important, sure. or or something along those lines. Well, and and um, and I'll even I'll even add this too because I think sometimes like I'm sure you've been there, Ed. You're at a meet and you see someone who's a new coach, they have not been yeah. coaching very long, and and it could be like some obvious mistakes. Like I remember being at one meet where um, there was this new coach there, and they you know they're trying to coach these kids, but like an obvious mistake like the pole carry was literally straight up and down the pole carry was literally straight up and down. And so these kids are like slamming the tips down last second. They're getting rocked at takeoff. And you know, it's like, it wasn't even a, like a a thing that I wanted to tell the coach, like, Hey, like make this adjustment. It was just like, Hey, I don't know if you noticed, but all your kids are doing this. So you've taught them this like kind of incorrectly, but I'm like, there's no way you can say that to that coach without them getting offended. And that and that's yeah, the thing. Yeah. Like, if if let's say that coach became friendly with me, and then they were like, "Hey, do you have any ideas?" Sure, help them. But it's like there's no way anyone is gonna be like, "Oh, thanks for telling me I suck," because that's how they yeah. they're gonna interpret it. And it's like, so I yeah, I obviously didn't say anything, you know, and you
1: know one of the a way that I've sort of um and it's hard to find a scenario where you can do it, but yeah. it's Sort of way that I've navigated that before myself is that a lot of times the coaches still want to do some vaulting on their own, right? And I've done this twice in the past where I've seen a coach who does something very similar to what you're describing, right? And I want it's driving me nuts that I want to say something, but I, I just don't want to
0: offend them. Right, 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 What I've
1: actually done is invited them to come jump. Like, yeah. hey, you want to get away from your kids and come jump? And when they do it, <laughs> they right. say, oh, because this is a one-on-one session, we're working together. They're right. coaching me, I'm coaching them. Um, and I'm like, oh, yeah, because your pole carry is so up high, you're, you're, you're doing this. And, and, and all of a sudden, I'm not telling them how to coach their kids. I'm just giving them a tip on what they're doing right at that moment. And all of a sudden, they're changing that with
2: their athletes
1: down the right. road. What? Right. Um, not always the easiest way to, to do it because just finding the time to do something like that or a right.
0: right scenario but, when you've got somebody who wants to coach. But there, there's ways that you can go about it. Right. I but I think I think that's that's huge is like forming a relationship with a coach, you know? Right. And and yeah. so it's like if you can form a relationship with them, then you might be able to help them out, you know? But it's like just go thinking that you're gonna walk over And I think it's almost like, you know, as a coach, you obviously have to be confident, maybe even borderline cocky. So I think that comes with it, too. You think that you're going to walk over there and be like, oh, my God, just fix this. And that the coach is be like, thank you. Oh, my goodness. And it's I like, know, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, that's fine.
1: And, probably- and, and then if the athlete succeeds, the coach is going to come over and praise you for right. making it happen. Or right. Or fail, what you think going to happen then. I mean, yeah. it's, just, it's just the
0: wrong thing to do. No, right? but it's like, like you said. It's like I think inviting a coach over to a practice is great, and I've definitely done that. And I think another thing is, like, let's say, like, I see that coach needs a pole. You know, they're, like, scrambling to try. Hey, coach, what pole do you need? Like, I I can I can give you that. Because now if you're already extending that olive branch, now you're going to be able to help impact that, that person and help them the way you want to instead of coming off as a jerk. You know what I mean? Right, right. So – um, so I, I don't know if you realize this, we've already gone almost an hour and a half into the podcast. Was, oh my God. Was I did there, not that, yeah, it was the no, difference. it's, it's all good. I, I, I literally, this is one of my favorite episodes cause I think there's a, a plethora of information here for people. I, I think they're going to find a, a lot of value in this. Was there anything else that you wanted to say before we end the podcast?
1: Um, yeah, not really. I mean, I, I feel like we've, like, we've just sort of gone over a lot of different things with not a specific direction here Yeah, we had a direction maybe, maybe I could think of something to sum it up um, I guess covering the subjects we did cover it really comes down to just you know, having, having the right intentions, if you're yeah. going to be seriously taking coaching on as a, as a life direction, yeah, um, you want to really consider why you're doing it and what the level of commitment, the things you're going to have to give up on your own. Like, you know, we talked earlier about me trying to do my own training, but I couldn't. And, and that's pretty much gone now, even though I've got this great playground that I can't yeah. really use for myself. It's yeah. nuts. um, but, yeah, uh, just sort yeah. of having
0: your, your head in the right place. Well, you yeah, know what's you know what's a great story that I'm going to bring back that you mentioned earlier? It's like what you said to that girl that was crying practicing with you. You know, it's like, hey, why are you doing this? Are you trying to go to the Olympics? Are you trying to get a scholarship? Or are you just having fun? And she said, I, I just want to have fun. And I think the same thing for coaches. What's your intention? What's your goal? You know, and you have to figure that out. And, you know, I think – if you have, if your goal is to help people, I think you're going to be very successful, you know? Um, look, thanks for being on the podcast, Ed. I think this was a, a great, uh... we lost him again. Hey, sorry, we lost, yeah, sorry, we lost you again. Um, but, uh, yeah, thanks for being on the podcast, um, how can, if people want to follow DC Vault, what, what's your Instagram? Uh, you know, how, what's the best ways to, to reach out, you know, and sure. get in touch?
1: Yeah, a, a real simple. Everything's DC Vault. So, DCVault.com is our website. Instagram, uh, our handle is DC Vault. Same with Twitter. Um, so, uh, Facebook, the same. It's all just DC Vault, no underscores, no spaces.
0: Awesome. Well, for everybody out there listening, thank you for listening. Again, uh, if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe. If you have any comments or questions, uh, you can always email us at apexvaulting at gmail.com. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody.